what I could have done was get in my plane and assume that they have an airport down there and fly down to the Redneck Riviera in Panama City Beach, Florida and walk out there and give every WCW star a piece of my mind because that's what I really want to do. But how appropriate is it that the last WCW broadcast is in a beer hall? How appropriate is that? Surrounded by a bunch of beer-drinking rednecks. But, nonetheless, I opted to come out here for you in St. Cloud, Minnesota. But, damn it, I'm the Dirty Dog McMahon, and, and I am better than that. I own WCW, and I own Main Event Status Radio, and you will treat me with respect or I'll walk out of this arena. Shane, where are you? What's up, Vince? Surprise, Dad! You're in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I'm here in Panama City Beach, Florida, standing in a WCW rig. And as usual, Dad, your ego's got the best of you. Your ego's got the best of you. I mean, you wanted to finalize this deal, WCW, at WrestleMania. You asked Ted Wolfrek himself to come down and finalize that deal himself. Dad, that was just the opportunity I was looking for because, Dad, the deal is finalized with WCW. And the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract says Shane Beverly McMahon. That's right. I now own WCW. Yay! Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? The Cho Cho Chosen One. You're listening to Many Event Status Radio. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We gonna finish. With Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. What is the fate of WCW? And... I own WCW. The Dirty Dog Darcy. You want to fight, man? You want to fight? You got one. Only nobody tells me what to do. And Chico, nobody tells me when to do it. Now let's get into the podcast. Recorded live on the shore at Panama City Beach, Florida. Recorded live in Club La Vela. 
This is Made Event Status Radio, 400 plus pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. I am the bull of the woods, the dirty dog Darcy. Joining me is a blue-eyed soul himself, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. Beverly, what's happening? Brother! This is fun. Uh, I'm doing super well. I just got back from vacation last night. The person came over and fixed our windows today. Uh, I'm flying high. I don't think you can put it anywhere else. I am sad that I would not be here (laughs) passing by your window. Yes! If you could, if you can see over there, look at that! Look at that! The window is all the way down. Beautiful! Oh my gosh! Beautiful! Yes. yes. Talk about something that's beautiful is that we are wrapping up. That is the death of WCW series. We are finally putting it in the box, wrapping yep. the bowl, and all that fun jazz and groovy blue stuff. This is our wrap up, yeah. death of WCW series. Uh-huh. Yes. And to be honest, I was uh, I was kind of saddened a little bit up to fireworks last night that I was saddened that we are wrapping up the Death of WCW series because I had so much fun, but now I am happy after fireworks and after we got things set in stone for the outline for today. I am happy that we are wrapping up wrapping up we are covering three different matches from I guess the the highs that that was WCW and the lows that was WCW. We oh, the lows of the lows and the high of the highs. And we are we have a phone call between the matches and all that, which yep. would be a fun guest and all that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And Go yeah, ahead. my thoughts on it. I, you know, it, I I would agree with you. This has been a very fun series. It's been a great what like I don't even know like two or three months here. Yeah, about yeah, um, two to three months. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a good break, but you know, I am ready to put a bow on it, and I am really kind of ready to, you know, work back into our our old routine. Just because bit. it's something different, I have a doctor, what do you have now? A Dr. Pepper Vanilla Float. It's got some sunglasses on it. It's got, what is it, a fork crossed with a knife, or what's that uh, thing uh, there? Yeah, like a fork and spatula. Oh, okay. has an American top hat, kind of like what Abe Lincoln would wear, some we sandals. Yeah, Uncle Sam. I think it's got some stars and stripes on it. Yeah, so we're na- like naturally Sam. and artificial flavored, always oh. one of a kind. Well, yeah. then, then it's perfect for you, because you're about as one of a kind as it gets. Oh. So that is to the series that was The Death. Of WCW. Oh, take a look. I know we were talking about this before, even the start of the series, but there's one thing both of us wanted to talk about. Yep. It's from Dave Meltzer. In the foreword, Dirty Dave Meltzer mentioned that when WCW closed in March of 2001, their fans, and I quote, Quickly drifted away and never came back. Unquote. That was from page, see, 20, 27? 17, 17. 17, yeah. 20, I was from 17. I guess, you know, since we want to wait till, you know, for this podcast, could it have been the bad book and that was from 99 and 2000? You know, I would say, um, but yeah, before you even ask the question, you know, I, I do see that. And I think he's like dead, dead on. When he says that, because when, I mean, when, 
it's a very easy just numbers thing, right? Like if you look at combine even those last few months, the combined numbers of Nitro and Raw were much higher than what ends up being the WWF product, you know, just a few months later. So clearly he's correct when he says they didn't switch over a large, large percentage of WCW viewers just left. And I think WWF really um, underestimated the fact that a lot of WCW viewers were just that, you know, they were just WCW viewers and they weren't going to come with, I'm sure you know, in buying the product, you're like, well, heck yeah, we're going to make this uh, into an enormous company and we're going to grab all these viewers, but it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, you can go ahead here. I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on on the WWF product and the WCW product. I'll see people a lot, mention a lot about, you know, the 20-foot ring that WWF would have and the 18-foot ring that WCW would have. And I also noticed a lot, too, on... Like how the stage was set, or how the stage was set for like Raw and Nitro, how they were different. That ramps came down at different angles. You know, for WWF, there's you know middle of one side of the ring for Nitro is pretty much at t- towards like one of the corners, and the hard camera a- side was different for both shows. So I know those are some of the different things, I guess. That's like WCW offered usually some like different match. There's different match types, different match styles between in, in each and every match on Nitro or pay-per-views and all that. I guess I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, when we look at its height, I would say that that was completely true. When Nitro was, you know, really cooking with gas, they were presenting something very different uh, with several different matches. Toward the end, though, um, it got very repetitive, you know, and you, it wouldn't be a stretch to see Bischoff three, four times a night or, you know, see Russo three times a night, which, you know, we're seeing that now. Uh, There are, there are a scary amount of similarities between 2000 WCW and 2015 WWF, wouldn't you say? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that, you know, Raw opens up with a, 20 minute long, boring, long, yes. boring promo that they gotta keep going and going and going and I wish I would remember exactly where I, I can quote this from but I want to say it's probably Jim Cornette but I, or somebody, somebody like him that I think that, yeah, this past week I was listening to a podcast at work and they were talking about how much or what may, might be MSL from uh, MLW podcast that okay, yep. one of those two that would, would have said that that during yeah, yeah, we're talking just about that. How Raw has opened up with a twenty-minute promo every single time, and the same formula. And only must have been MSL that said this. That, but that you know, the only time that that formula worked was ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, when you had great talkers like mm-hmm. The Rock, yep. Steve Austin, Vince McMahon, and all that. And yep. and certain people could carry that, and certain people cannot. This is one of the big problems that wrestling has is that it's it's that whole round peg square hole idea um instead of playing to the 
performers' strengths, they try to do what worked prior, and that isn't, you know, what works. Like, um, I don't know. I think that's one of the reasons why they fall back on that whole idea where they're like, oh, it's not that the product sucks, it's just that it's cyclical. Well, you can say that, but really I think what happens is just they keep trying the same thing and then finally they find somebody it works with. And they go, oh, here, duh, here it's cyclical. No, you just found the right person. If you would have been doing the things that worked with the performers you had, you know, a year ago, five years ago, whatever, you would always have um, the heights. You just need to work with what you're given. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, if we're talking death of WCW, they, they didn't do that toward the end. You know, they were trying to do, um, you know, the long promos and stuff with guys like Jeff Jarrett, who never clicked. You know, they were trying to do main event matches with Jeff Jarrett. Maybe just the problem is it's Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, but yeah, kind, but, of, <laughs> kind of going on with the pun I was making. That, yeah, that, yeah the, the promo time right away that started raw only worked for like a, maybe at most a two-year window. Couple and, years, yeah. And they, because you had such amazing guys, like you said, Austin, Rock, McMahon, even uh, Foley, even Triple H to an extent. You know, those are guys that can carry those. Yeah. Um, and, yeah towards yeah. the end of 2001, numbers showed up that, yeah, stuff that wasn't even working anymore. So they should right. have changed it up and yes. start out with a match on, you know, at the beginning of Raw, Smack and all that. And well, change well, play up. to the strengths. Play yeah, to whatever play, the strengths what, of your guys are. Whatever works. And if you have a good talker, then, yeah, start out the show once in a while uh, with a talker, not every single week with somebody that right. ain't that great. Right, uh-huh. So I guess... I believe I believe the statement is, ain't I great. Whatever. But I, <laughs> but I guess I wanted to ask you, do, do you feel like, feel like the WCW fans were offended once WCW was sold? I think there was an element of that. You know, um, the, the audience to WCW always skewed a fair amount older than the audience of WWF and I'm sure there was an element of and but those folks probably turned away you know in the 2000 99 2000 with with the Russo stuff which was always more vulgar but um yeah I think they were offended that way and I think maybe what you're actually asking me is were they offended that their that their company was sold was yes. that it was over I guess yeah um, oh. probably you know they're like I like I had said, there are a lot of folks who are just I I watch WCW. That's what I watch. I don't watch wrestling. I watch WCW. Please. And and like sorry. And like when I think about you know we've had this couple times. Well, at least when I think like hockey, you know, here in Minnesota, when the North Stars moved to Dallas in the early nineties. It wasn't, at least the people that I knew, it wasn't like they just switched allegiance to Chicago or whomever. They just stopped watching hockey. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like, I hate that it moved. I hate that my team is gone. So screw hockey. And I do think there's an element, like you said, of WCW fans that say, screw wrestling. I don't have my product, so I'm done. Yeah, I, I guess I was gonna yeah jump in and say that you know it's been noted on the podcast. I'm a, a, a 
well, I, guess I was a big WWF fan during the Monday Night War era, and I say if, if it would have been switched around, that WWF would have been sold in 2001, I probably would have done the same thing. I would have probably just quit watching wrestling. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I totally think there was an element of that. Totally think there was an element okay. of that. Do you have any other bullet points that you'd like to discuss before we get into our first match of the night? Well, I actually think... I dare say, I think you skipped those two bullets under the oh, discuss some yes. topics area. Yes, okay. So I would like to touch Thank on you. those. I guess what are some <laughs> of the... Th- I totally forgot about that. What, okay. are, what are some things that we appreciated about the book or the series? I guess I'll start out first. That You know, you know dropping off of pretty much wrestling in 90, end of 98, it was nice for me to kind of go back and... Re- remember some of the things I I did remember from 96, 90, you know, 96, 97, 98, and I guess learn about stuff that, you know, of WCW before that ha- before that time and what happened after that time. And I really enjoyed, you know, talking with you last. I think the series probably would have been pushing 10 hours, if not yeah. longer. I appreciate the last, like, 10 or so hours of us chatting about each chapter of the book. Right. Uh, I, you know, as I think I've said, this is not the first time that I've read it, not by a long stretch. Uh, And it was interesting for me revisiting kind of actually like this time of my fanhood, not necessarily like the years covered, but when I read it the first time, you know, like this was in my very, very early stages of being a, you know, so-called informed wrestling fan, internet wrestling fan, whatever. I think I got this when I was still in high school where I wasn't really online much at all. So it was interesting for me to go back and look at like, wow, like this is where I got a a lot of the first information um, on the, on the back stories of, of wrestling. And it was, and that was pretty cool to me. And it was pretty cool just to, you know, remember back to those days and um, you know, it was interesting for me to now look at this era where in the last 10 years I've, you know, read a lot more. I've read, you know, listened to interviews and whatnot, whatnot. So now I'm able to say, as we've heard, you know, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it was a cool kind of step back and, and look at this book. And did our memories of certain things line up with how the storyline was, I guess, provided in the, in the book. I know, I guess one thing that kind of made me think about that was, uh, you mentioned before that you were a pod, you were a guest on a podcast reviewing the, yes, yeah, about the restart uh, of Nitro or the uh-huh. restart button in two thousand and all that. I guess were there any other things, such like that, that we read in the book that our memories didn't were kind of fuzzy on. Oh man. Um... I mean, a lot of that 01 stuff and late 2000 stuff, because I had, uh, for the most part, really checked out on WCW at that point. Um, I don't know. How about you? I guess, yeah, like I said, that it, I... Maybe that know, pre-98 stuff yeah, where you didn't really know it at all. Well, yeah, I, I guess, you know, post-98, I think Chris was of 98 is when I moved from Cambridge to Malacca, so anything after that, I really didn't know other than the whole, I think, month of May of 2000, where... The title was oh, jumped back yeah. and forth with Jarrett to Flair to Jarrett to Nash to Flair to Jarrett and all that. Oh, yeah. You know, for, I watched on Worldwide that. I guess well, I, and even then, even then, 
the 15 minute recaps on worldwide how is that going to do any justice with the pure insanity that was wcw nitro yeah so it was nice to read more i guess especially that whole month i guess it was nice for me to read about kind of like what was going on with with that to put it more put that in context might that put that memory in context for me for i can fully understand now all these years later what actually was going on uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. So I guess, are there any other like points you want to like to discuss before we jump into our first match? Oh, about the book? Um, I would suggest it to anyone who um, maybe is a younger wrestling fan. It's so funny for me to think about this, but it's true that there are people who weren't alive when this was taking place. Like, that blows my mind. That makes me smile. But if you are a person who... Um, wasn't around or didn't follow wrestling, I think it'd be a good um, primer. And I think it's like this, you could really use this book, like read it. And now we have the uh, opportunity, read it, go on YouTube, go on Daily Motion, watch it, see if it lines up with the book or, you know, gives you that uh, kind of visual representation. It's, I feel like this, you can almost use Death of WCW kind of like an encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah, right. that, yeah. I, I was gonna mention that you know even if you're not, even if you were around during that time or mm-hmm. not, or even if by chance you're listening to this podcast, you're not a wrestling fan or not really much of a wrestling fan, especially during that time. Or not time, sure how you're listening to it, but whatever. Keep but, or the time, <laughs> or the or the times that you know we that we are touching on. But I guess you'll just go and pick it up and read about it, and yeah, just. See how crazy the wrestling business was, especially in the late late nineties. That it's it's a really good kind of reference book. Like if you think about it, like if you're like, what's going on in nineteen ninety nine? Go to it, and like it has it's better than a than a Wikipedia type thing because it has the analysis to it. And even though sometimes I criticize the analysis because it it comes with a viewpoint that's also an advantage too like when you when you look when you read any type of um analytical writing is is you get a little insight and you get you know how it made people feel um and then you can decide like whether you agree with that feeling or not you know that's why we read analytical works so talk about things that brings feelings and such the first yeah. match that we'll be discussing is Goldberg taking on Hollywood Hulk Hogan on the July 6th, 1998 edition of WCW Monday Nitro from Atlanta, Georgia. I believe the Georgia Dome, if I remember correctly. The Georgia Dome, you got it. Then This his, brought a lot of feelings to me, actually. It really did. Yeah, that I mentioned before on the podcast that, that um, yeah, I remember this match vividly watching live and all that. So Sure, me too. Yeah, so I... Well, I kind of vaguely remember the storyline up to this match. I want, I must spew it out, and if you have any more details to help paint it in, I'll shoot it to you. But if I remember correctly up to this point that, I don't, I guess I don't remember how Goldberg was given the, the title shot against Hogan, but I do remember that Hogan or Bischoff on the two told Goldberg earlier in the night that if you want to take on Hogan for the world title, you had to defend the title and defeat Scott Hall first with the U.S. title, or yeah, defending your U.S. title against Scott Hall first, and if you beat him, you can go on and face Hogan in the main event for the WCW title, and Hogan, or Goldberg 
did because this was still during his <laughs> his Owain streak that Goldberg defeated Scott Hall, re, uh, retained his United States Championship, then went on to face Hogan in the main event. Is there any other details that I'm missing in that storyline? Yeah, I remember nothing of the storyline, to be honest with you. I remember the match very vividly, but I do not remember the storyline very so, well. Okay, so. then we got this clip from YouTube in the... the Clip starts off, start opens up with the sound of the bell, and Hogan and Goldberg are circling the ring. And yeah, I did, I did get a quote from Bobby Heating that I wanted to mention. Okay, go ahead. I can, you know, you know, once the the clip opens up, you can hear the roar of the crowd and how excited they were. And Bobby Heating was yelling, "Gentlemen, start your engines!" <laughs> yeah. To me, it was just, you know, I guess out of context, you just find this clip and start it out like that, you know, it's on the bell, then announcers are talking, then you hear Bobby Heaton yell out, you know, gentlemen, start your engines. That, to me, that, you know, when, when I watched this last night, I was excited to watch this match again. It got me hyped up again just meters, seconds into the clip. Yeah, my first note is that this crowd was just crazy. You could, And they they were on their feet the whole time. They were literally jumping out of their seats. You could see the crowd, just a sea of people as far as it went. You know, this, as Tony mentions later, later this is the record of uh, people at a, at a TV taping. Um, and you could tell, you could tell both in looks and in, um, loudness. They were they were jacked for this match for well, sure. Yeah, talk about that. I you know after Bobby yelled out "Start your engines," I noted that the guys were you know pacing each other, pacing around the ring, circling each other, and the crowd started to chant "Goldberg, Goldberg," and holy moly, how over was Goldberg? Oh my gosh, so at this much. match, so much, so much. He was. He was just so popular with the fans. They were, they were in his hand, definitely. And something that I was surprised at at the beginning of the match was Goldberg first slapped on a side headlock right away yep. at the start of the match. Yep. And then Tony makes a great comment. You know, he's trying to to build up Goldberg as an awesome wrestler. He goes, "That's a really elementary move." And I go, "Come on, Tony." Like, really good job. Way to make your future champion here. That's an elementary move. Don't! Because to me, I enjoyed the side of headlock because, you know, right away at the start of the match because it started the match out at a slow pace. It, yeah. You know, it was built up to what we'll be, you know, reviewing here in a few minutes. Sure. You know, the conclusion of the <laughs> match that I enjoyed the slow pace and then and you know, the right, pacing of this match was pretty good then you know at you know from the side like Hogan sends Goldberg to the ropes and Cole, Goldberg comes back with a shoulder block and send Hogan to his butt and it was Skirk. I'm putting on the brakes because I got some notes before that okay <laughs> Mike Tanay jumps in with another really good comment he goes WCW's third behind both NWO groups and I go, come on, announcers. What are they doing? Like, why would you say that? They Like, we talked about this through the series, right? That, like, they always place WCW at the bottom. Even the announcers that are supposed to be pro-WCW are like, 
yeah, WCW pretty much sucks. You, you know, it's it's a common fact. They're they're pretty much garbage. And I'm like, come on, Mike Tanay. To me, though, I wouldn't be surprised if that things like that would subliminally fed into why I, I didn't like WCW and I preferred WWF. Sure, I I would not blame you one bit. You know when when the group that's supposed to be the good guys are losing all the time. They're being presented as the bottom, and even the announcers that are supposed to be for them go, it's a known fact that WCW's third behind NWO Hollywood and NWO uh, Wolfpack. Come on. Well, I guess, you know, to tie it up, to fast forward back to the back to where you told me to pause. Yes. It showed me, I guess, great supremacy that WCW had in Goldberg when he, yeah. he came back and hit uh, Hogan with a shoulder block, sending sure. Hogan to his butt. I I guess I laughed while seeing Hogan's facial expressions like, <laughs> yeah. holy crap, I think I met my equal, if not yes. somebody that's probably better than me in strength. I, I, would, I would agree with you, and I would say that Hogan did a pretty good job for the most part in this match. You know, really selling that Goldberg is not someone that he has seen the likes of. Uh, and that he's like, oh, no. Um, Hogan is so tan. Here. Yes. So his, tan. His skin looks like leather. Oh, my gosh. It, pure. Yes, it does. It 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 looks like leather in just about every way. And talk about the side headlock spot from Goldberg early in the match. Hogan grabbed a front face lock. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll let you go from there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he drove him into the corner. That that's when he that's when I noticed that he was so tan. Um, Goldberg got something in his eyes, and he's like fighting with it. My guess: Hogan's baby oil would make sense. Uh, <laughs> um, they get into a test of strength, and uh, Goldberg gets the best of it. Again, we get that kind of what I was talking about where Hogan has met his match and really showing it. Well, this, that, you know, here we are in 98. Hogan is showing some weakness. Um, that's something that Hogan really could have done for for the rest of his career, but he didn't do it enough, in my opinion. Yeah, that, you know, with the test of strength that, that yeah, that Hogan got to the ropes and the ref calls for a clean break. And yep. right then I got a quote from Mike Tanea. Okay. It's a smart move from Hogan to go to the ropes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess it kind of tied it in with what you were saying earlier about Mike today about calling Goldberg out for the elementary move. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, that were, was Tony. Or Tony, yeah, Tony was ripping Goldberg down and all that. And so like Mike today was kind of helped building Hogan up even more. Like, yeah, look at how smart Hogan is. Sure, but sure, you're, you're right. I but the the one thing is like. I think it's okay in this sense because it's like they should be basically saying that Hogan's one advantage that he has is the fact that he's been wrestling for 20 years. Fair enough. I guess you, know that, what, you know what I mean? And Mike, like, Mike today's gimmick is the professor, so it's, I guess, understandable that he's, he points out stuff like that. Yeah. So that Hogan took off his belt. That holds up nothing because he wears stretchy pants. So he took off his belt and he whipped Goldberg with it. But then Goldberg grabbed it and and threw it away. Uh, and then Bobby said the best line of the hey, night. Pause. Okay. Before you do get that, I noted Hogan gets some eye rakes, punches, back rakes, and uses his weightlifting belt 
on Goldberg to booze. And yeah, Goldberg grabbed it. I thought I wrote down uses it once, but that may not be correct. I think he did. Throws it away, and the fans pop. Then goes to Bobby's quote. He goes, I don't, you can try to tell me what this means. Hogan, get a phone book and put it in your pants. <laughs> what? Bobby. What? What does that mean? Why I, Why should he put a phone book in his pants? I think Bobby was trying to get to the point that maybe the phone book would be just as useful as his weightlifting belt. Good as anything. I'll, I'll buy that because I have no clue what that would mean. To me, that I know that doesn't make any sense, but that quote from Bobby doesn't make any sense either. So, but, yeah, I think it makes more sense. I'm like, put a phone book in your pants. What? what? I'm trying to make sense out of nothing. Now, Hogan does come back with a useful move, which would be a mule kick to Goldberg's nuts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Goldberg, <laughs> yeah, Goldberg gets Hogan in the full nose, and then yeah, with how the referee was, Charles Iverson, by the way, was positioned yep. that yeah, Hogan mule, mule kicks him to some raining booze from the oh, crowd. Oh, gosh, they were ready to skin Hogan for that. Um, and Hogan really took over. Uh, there he hit a lariat. He choked uh, Goldberg on the mat well, for a few seconds. Well, talk about that. Yeah, go before he did that. He body slam. Wait, wait, hold. That comes wait. next. Okay, can, yep. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's okay. After he choked, after he choked him for a few seconds, he did pick him up and he hit him with a body slam, which I was surprised at. I was too, but I mean, like, I I get it, and maybe it should have been a bigger move. Um, because I'm okay with Hogan body slamming him. Well, same here. That I guess, yeah, I just surprised that he seems such a transitional spot, yes, or just a, I think it should have been a bigger deal. Yeah, but yeah, that I guess we kind of tie it back with, in with WrestleMania three. The how big of a deal uh, yeah. body slam Andre got Goldberg's nothing compared to Andre, but how they were building Goldberg up yeah. to being huge, and Goldberg wasn't really off his feet that much in any match before, if I can remember correctly. So I think a body slam spot like that should have meant more that, you know, an announcer should have put over how sure. important it was that, that Hogan got Goldberg off his feet. Yep. Now, my only thing that, and my reason why I'm okay with it is because, you know, Hogan is the champion. Yeah. He is, he is presented that he, sh he should be the tops in the company here. So I'm a... Uh, in the long run, I'm okay with it there. But you're right, it should have meant more. They should have been like, oh my god! Hogan slam Goldberg, whatever. But after he slams him, he tries twice consecutively to elbow him on the map, but he misses, and Goldberg like a log, just keeps rolling, 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 until he rolls to the outside. Which I <laughs> laughed at that Hogan tried it the second time after missing the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed when Goldberg just kept rolling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Goldberg came back in and he clotheslined Hogan. Hogan uh, fell to the outside where he was able to put his belt back on. Yeah, that you know, the once Hogan rolled out of the ring, the uh, crowd cheered and all that. And yeah, like I said, Hogan walked around the ring to buy some time to put his weightlifting belt back on and got back in the ring. And at that time, the fans were chanting. Hogan sucks. Hogan sucks. <laughs> yep, but once Hogan gets back in, he's able to kind of take control, and he knees Goldberg a few times yeah, in the that, corner. He, yeah, that those two did a collar and elbow tie-up, which I was surprised to see in the middle of the match. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right? Yeah, not, not so much saying that usually happens at that rate. 
Um, they do go outside again. They kind of get to the outside. And Tony drops this line. Hogan on the outside is a master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tony Shavani. And he does hit a couple chair shots on him. Um, he hits the leg drop even. Gets the leg drop on him. But what happens? Well, uh, this was back Goldberg in the ring. This, yeah, this, this is, is back in the ring. Yeah, back in the ring. Hogan body sends Goldberg. Yep. Gunny. Leg drops him. Taunts, taunts the fan. Hits another leg drop. Then Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning came down to the ring. But during but during this, Goldberg kicks, kicks out. Yeah, Goldberg kicks, kicks out, out of the leg drop. Two leg drops. Then, yeah, then he heard been panted to Perfect Mr. Perfect coming out. Then second which, slate. Which one second? Which I think that's a production error. I think if you're going to have Goldberg kick out of the leg drop, the leg drop of doom, two leg drop of doom, and then here's well, Kurt Henning coming out. It's like, to, oh, come to be on. Honestly, I missed the Mr. Yeah. Goldberg kicking out, so that saying something that, yeah, then Perfect came out, then seconds later, Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone came out. Carl Malone in some amazing white, tight, tight, tight jeans. Okay, Obviously, we talked about this before, but this is also building up to the DDP and Carl Malone yes. versus Goldberg and Rodman match at Bash of the Beach yeah. 98. Yeah, Goldberg okay. and Rodman. Yep. Just, want, just want to make sure then. I guess uh, yeah, then I, I guess I did put in my notes when DDP and Malone also came out seconds after perfect. Goldberg kicks out of the leg yep. drop. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll kick it back to you on what happens after that. Yeah, Carl Malone hit an awful-looking diamond cutter on Kurt Henning on the outside, uh, which, which, you know, effectively just, neutralizes his interference. Yes, which uh, distracts Hogan, which yep. find to be hilarious, but which then Hogan Herpin uh, turned around, then yep. faces a spear. Yep, a spear, jackhammer, one, two, three. We and, got a new champion. I'll, I'll throw it to you for Tony's comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah the fans jumped up to the feet and was popped greatly once, you know, Hogan got nailed with the spear, then, you know, Goldberg does his taunt to that he's going to hit for, go, go for the jackhammer, and once, you know, he picks go, uh, uh, Hogan up for it, then drops him, Tony yells, oh, hell yeah! Oh, hell yeah! Then the ref counts to three. <laughs> the ref counts to three, and this is one thing I appreciate about the announcers. They shut the hell up yeah. to let the fans do the talking, how they all jumped to their feet. If they weren't on their feet yet, they were cheering yeah. greatly. Oh my gosh. Such a huge reaction. For the winner and new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Goldberg. Yeah, I I would agree. The, the crowd went truly, truly wild to Goldberg for, for that. And I'll go with my rating first. And I feel like I rated this match a little lower. I'm willing to I guess change my rating. I guess based on our little discussion, but I rated this match three and three four stars. I was gonna go three and a half. I yeah. Okay. So I I think the the match itself is three and a half. You're gonna rate like I, the importance and the uh, you know crowd reaction, all that. It might be higher. That's I should say that's why I bumped it up probably a little bit higher. I guess I was expecting you to rate it higher than I did, but. I guess I probably read it a little bit higher because I mentioned before and when we reviewed matches that I I also tie in with the crowd reaction and I guess how how into the match the announcers are and Mike Tenay, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Hinton were all into the match. 
the fats are eating everything up and all that. Yeah. I guess that's why. I guess I rated it a half a star higher than you. Sure. Uh huh. So, you know, before we get to our next match, we we are going to be taking a call from my brother, Daddy Sunshine, talking oh, about. Oh man, I'm excited to talk to the daddy. So I am too. So let's kick it. Father to, Sunshine. So let's kick it to Daddy Sunshine. All right, we got Daddy Sunshine on the line, and Daddy, we just wrapped up watching Goldberg defeating Hollywood Hogan for the world title on July 6th, 1998. Do you have any memories of that match? I was going to say, actually, yeah, I do. I was going to say everybody was hoping that Goldberg was going to take out Hollywood, and I know everybody was kind of going nuts when Goldberg won the title. Do you remember you, Nate, and I watching, flipping back from Nitro and Raw that night, and you guys forcing me against my will to watch Nitro and force me to cheer on Goldberg when he challenged Hollywood Hulk Hogan? I was going to say, I was more of a Hollywood fan at the time, but I don't remember that. You were so. a Hollywood fan, Daddy. I don't know if I can be on yeah. your side then. I was a Goldberg <laughs> through and through. Well, I was, was going to say, you know, Hollywood was the first Triple H, you know. <laughs> now, were were you guys really big into the, the Monday Night War, so you were a kind of a WCW guy, Daddy? I was going to say, I was after Hall and Master, after they made the, their jump, and that made me want to watch more of the WCW than the WWE. Well, kind of so, so now did this cause a rift in the... Daddy, dirty dog relationship because I know when we've spoken, dirty dog was a WWF guy through and through. Did this cause some friction between you? Well, let me first speak on my end of the uh, end of the deal, Daddy O and okay. Daddy Yet. Okay. That I, well, Beverly, you were uh, giving me a lot of flack during this series. I was a big WWF guy through yes. and through. And mm-hmm. even in you know grade school during the Monday Night Wars, I was a huge WWF fan. And I, rem- you know, I chose a Goldberg and Hogan match because I remember that night. I, I remember the match vividly that, that we would, yeah, Daddy, Nate, and I would always flip the channels back and forth. And yeah, Daddy was a huge Hogan fan, huge you know, WCW fan once NWO formed, and I was a huge WWF guy and all that, and I think, yeah, Daddy was rooting for Hogan, if I remember correctly, Nate was rooting for Goldberg, and I think I just got... You Were you were rooting to change the channel? Well, that too. <laughs> That's why I was rooting for Goldberg, because I wanted to change the channel back to WWF Monday Night Raw. Gosh, I wonder what was going on at that point, huh? I'm sure we. I'm sure we can figure that out. I'm sure we later. can figure it out, but that's that's uh, it, that would be an interesting thing. Daddy, do you have any memories of if there was any flack between us uh, during the Monday Night Wars? I was gonna say no, not really. I think we we're doing more channel surfing per se than anything else to see if you know Bischoff had any of their, any of his sources correct. Then uh, for who I'm spoiling plans. Yeah, then think of it. What other. Besides the Goldberg and Hogan match, do you what would somebody brings up World Championship Wrestling to you? What are some of the things you think about? Uh, some of the things I think about. Oh God, good question by the way. I was gonna say just you know the Monday Night Wars and how uh, Bischoff got a bunch of the top people from WWE WWF the jump ship and you know make his programming a lot better. 
I I have a daddy question. Now, as a as the WCW fan, did you watch it till the end, like till two thousand one, or did something pull you out? And if so, what? When did you kind of just like put her out on WCW? Because I feel like that's there are either you know people who watch WCW to the bitter end, or they you know kind of stopped along the way. And I'm wondering which one of those you fall into. I was gonna say actually for me it was more or less I stopped along the way. Okay. In like early, like in the early mid '98, just because okay. you know just being out of graduating from high school in '97, sure. you know, having a go go join the real world. Oh, okay, okay. So it wasn't it was more life that pulled you out than um, than the product itself. Well, I was gonna say yeah, cause I remember you know. Ke- at the end, you know, being able to when Vincent bought it out, you know, catching the very end of the WCW in their huge downfall. Okay, I'll yeah, cut. Right. Let, let me jump in that. Go ahead. I know yeah, I was in, I think, eighth grade when WWF bought out WCW, and I learned from one of my, one of my classmates on that Tuesday morning that WWF bought out WCW. Daddy, do you have any memories on how? What kind of reaction you had when you heard the news that Vince bought out WCW? Well, for me, I was kind of more or less bummed out. It's like, you know, especially, I was kind of hoping maybe their downfall would, you know, would eventually kind of rekindle the whole Monday Night War thing if they could have kind of like got their act together. But it was interesting when Shane O'Mac showed up on the last Nitro. Yeah, then, right. then I know you we, we, you mentioned a couple minutes ago about that you're a huge Hollywood Hogan fan and a huge NWO fan. I guess I got two questions with that. One, what was your? Do you remember your initial? I guess kind of three parts. I guess. Uh, do you remember your initial thoughts on the Batch of the Beach incident when Hogan turned heel? Uh, what's your? And I guess tying with, do you enjoy Hogan as the leader of the NWO and? When was the NWO too much, in your opinion? All right, well, we'll, we'll kind of pick up on the end one first. I was going to say, when the, the NWO, when they got too big, that was kind of like way too much. You know, when they had, was like, three or four limousines with packed full of guys? Yeah. To me, well, that was too much. Yeah, me, personally, I enjoyed, you know, Hogan being the heel and, you know, being the leader of the NWO just because it was something different. You know, compared to Hogan being this normal baby face that he had been for all the years prior. So I know we talked right. about it a few podcasts back. I think on the '98 chapter, or was '98 and '97 that it must be '97 that 90, when we're talking about the the NWO exploding too big. I think '98. Okay, well, I was thinking of when the giant jumped jumped oh, over. Sorry. That originally yep. was supposed to be the British Bulldog. Uh, sending to WCW and him being the fourth member with Hall Nash and Hogan in the NWO and I guess I want to get your thoughts daddy on you know if Bulldog would have jumped over I guess I want to get your thoughts on would do you think Bulldog would have been a good member of the NWO for the, like their mid carters and all that I was going to say if he, if he would have made the jump he probably would have been a you know a relatively good mid carter but in a way it was Kind of nice, wasn't he? Yassi, the fourth guy, if memory yeah. serves me right. Yeah, non. Was say, he, he was non wrestler. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, the fourth wrestling gonna, member. I should should have mentioned, but whatever. 
but as I say, as I say, because yeah, I know uh, it would have made things more interesting if Bulldog would have jumped, just because we know how he always was in the WWE with uh, the Heart Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I know in the '98 chapter and edition of the podcast, we talked a lot about how it seemed like WrestleMania 14 was the turning point for the WWF, crowning Austin as the new WWE champion and. A lot of buddy, a lot of people wanted to jump over to see the Austin versus McMahon feud, and I mentioned in the podcast that I remember the morning of, I guess the next morning, Monday night or Monday morning, waking up for school and walking out into the living room and seeing that you had my Stone Cold action figure, giving my Shawn Michaels action figure a Stone Cold stunner, and that pissed me off greatly, and I asked you. Uh, at when Raw came on, that how in the hell did you know that Stone Cold beat Shawn Michaels that night? And you, I remember you shrugging your shoulders and said that was a good guess. I we guess could see the future. I guess, Daddy, do you psychic, Daddy Sunshine? Daddy, do you remember pay per view Sundays? You, Nate, and I would try to switch it to the pay per view channel and try to watch as much of the pay per view on the Scramble Vision as much as possible. Well, I was going to say, I remember us trying to do that, you know, just trying to see if we could pick anything up, whether it's the audio or the video part, just to see, you know, what the heck was going on, just so that way we kind of had the heads up before everybody else. This makes me so happy to hear this story. I always hear, like, whatever on TV and whatnot of people trying to watch pay-per-view through Scrambled, the cable connection yet i seriously have never known someone who did it so this story makes me so happy that now i know the sunshine dog connection watched it scrambled pay-per-views this makes me extremely pleased daddy uh do, but you know it kind of tied in with the uh, stone cold and austin did you by chance, were you watching? Are you trying to flip it over to the pay-per-view channel during the main event at WrestleMania 14? Do you remember if that's how you found out about it, or do you just do that because you know I was a big Shawn Michaels fan and that would piss me off walking out and seeing my Stone Cold figure giving my Michaels figure a stunner? I was going to say, actually, if, if memory serves me correctly, I was thinking I was trying to you know, get your goat, per se, in this way, like, haha, I think Stone Cold won it, and... Your favorite little heartbreak kid. To kind of think of it, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the, you know, on the podcast series or not. But do you remember that one time when we were living in still in Cambridge at Tower Circle, and Nate and, and invited me to have a cigarette with him in our garage, and I did. And after I got done with my cigarette, I would I walked. This must have been probably ninety seven, ninety eight. I walked in and told Mama D that I just had a cigarette, and she told me, okay, I'm taking away wrestling from you. You pick a month when you can start watching it again. And only the first month I thought about was September, so I don't think she made me do this for many weeks, but I I remember on a Monday night sitting in the kitchen with her, bored out of my mind and angry that I had to have my back to the living room when you and Nate had raw nitro playing in the living room loud enough that I can hear it, but I cannot watch it. Do you remember that? I was going to say, actually, I think we all kind of got into the stage of, you know, being young and dumb for, say, smoking and all that, but that part I don't remember. Darn, I hope. I, I was hoping My that you would have remembered. My mind is blown. 
This is the greatest story I've ever heard. Main event status has peaked. July 5th, 2015, main event status has reached its apex of awesomeness. The story of Dirty Dog Darcy trying a cigarette, being banned from wrestling by Mama D. Mark it down, folks. That might be why she turned the router off on us a few months ago. Yeah, she was remembering. She was remembering how naughty you were. Talk about, I guess, the naughty side in the peak of WCW Daddy. Do you, I guess, the main years of WCW reeking of stinkiness would have been 99, 2000, 2001 with, I guess, the Vince Russo years. Do you remember much about WCW during those years? I was going to say, no, not really, besides, you know, their horrible storylines. And wasn't Russo a champion during that time? Yes. Yeah. And he... Uh, this, go ahead. Oh, yeah, that he dropped the... He forfeited the title on October 2nd, year 2000. And you should know why I have that date memorized. Well, besides being her mom's birthday, but I don't remember other than that. Well, that's pretty much the only reason why I, I remember he that. He dropped so. the title to Mama D. If, if no one remembers, if for her birthday, he put it in a box, put a bow on it, and gave it to her and said, Happy birthday, you are now the WCW champion. Revisionist history. I, that's how I remember it. <laughs> so, Daddy, do you have any other, I guess, final memories or overall thoughts that was World Championship Wrestling? Well, I was going to say, I, kinda, I give Sting a lot of credit for being there for you know, all the good times, and, you know, when they finally closed up their doors for the bad times, so, yeah, you know, how, sure, you know how, how the singer was a flagship guy. Oh, think of Other it. Than I, that, no, not really. Okay, think of it. I guess one last question, we'll let you uh, do some plug-in. Uh, I let you borrow my WrestleMania 31 DVD set, and Beverly Hills and I kind of had a debate when we covered WrestleMania 31 on the Sting versus Triple H match that I live i enjoyed it for all the smoke and mirrors and all that and beverly hills watched it throughout the week because of uh work schedule and he he if i remember correctly stung like rotting garbage mixed with sewage i guess what's your thoughts on that steam triple h match at wrestlemania 31 me i thought it was you know at least it was pretty decent and all that i was gonna say I kind of got a kick out of how, you know, Stick DX came together. out. And, you know, then how, you know, then Michael came out and did his sweet chin uh, thing. Then after that, you know, how the NWO came out. It was like, how did they say that? It was like a time warp or something back then. It the, was the like a time warp, I'd agree. I, I guess. I was kind of, I was going to say, I was kind of bummed out with you too bad. Six or Xbox, whatever you want to call a guy, you know, wasn't part of the NWO if, you know, since Sean was there to and all that, to kind of you will know, have more of a level playing field. Right. I guess after all the these. Other than that, I thought. Well, go ahead. I guess after all these years, Daddy, that's what WCW gets for all the harassment and all the bitterness you caused me that one Monday morning from the night after WrestleMania 14. That Sean Nichols came back in sweet chin music, the face that was WCW. Well, I guess everything kind of has a little bit of irony behind it. So uh, I'll let you do some plugging. Do you have any anything to plug on your social media end? 
Oh, for, oh yeah, for my small medium, granted, I'm on, on a little bit of, don't mind me tripping over my tongue here. Granted, okay. you know, I'm not on the Twitter very much, but I got, you know, the DDRC70 on the Twitter machine, and I'm on Facebook once in a great while, but, you know, not a whole heck of a lot of it. And that was Daddy Sunshine. Daddy, thank you again for coming on. Give him a follow on Twitter at DDRC78. Again, that's D D A R S I E. And the number 78. Now, Thanks. is that his age? Is he 78 years old? That, or? Was, that was the year he was born. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know he's not so. And because of that, I have to open up a main event status. Dusty Rose, American Dream, Milo Yolo. For that, I, for that I, phone call. I wish it was a can of Milo Yolo from 1978. I don't know if I would open it up and drink it, to be honest. Oh, man, you'd probably barf right on air. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, the first match that we reviewed was a match that I picked out, Goldberg versus Hogan, and the next two matches we were reviewing, you suggested last night, and I was down for it because I never watched these matches before, and yeah. I was interested to see how, to see if they were as crappy as I <laughs> believe they were, and... They, I guess, yeah, they lived up to it. So sure. what is the first match we're reviewing tonight? Or the, uh, uh, that you suggested. Yeah, no, it's so funny that, like, you're this. I think this really kind of reveals, like, what kind of person, what kind of, like, things I like. <laughs> it's like, I'm such, like, just, I enjoy just, like, crappy stuff. Uh, we are reviewing, firstly, in, in my selection here, um, Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff against Diamond Dallas Page and David Arquette. I find it funny that we that Diamond Dallas Page has a tie in with the first match that we reviewed to this <laughs> yes. match. So yes, yeah this was this happened on April twenty fifth, two thousand at a WCW Thunder taping yes. in Syracuse, New York. Okay, and Syracuse, New York. I, right. Yeah, I wanna kick it to you, Beverly Hills. I do you know the I guess the backstory on what's going on besides you know, the, not a ton okay um i do know well i mean as we saw in this match i i it's surrounding the debut of ready to rumble yeah that's what it's called right ready, yeah, ready, to, ready to rumble so um our cat was there to promote the movie and he had been attacked earlier and put into this match I yeah. don't know. Okay, yeah, the, like yeah, the clip that we got this match and the next match from Daily Motion, and this clip starts out with Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff coming out, out to Jeff Jarrett's theme song. And oh, he came out to our theme song. Yes. Chosen one. Down, down, down. Then, yeah, then the announcers are saying whoever scores a victory walks out as champion. And as normal, I noted that Jeff Jarrett's tight to the silver and yellow. And I wanted to ask. What the hell is Bischoff wearing? Oh my gosh! I wrote down Bischoff looking slightly chubby, wearing a sleeveless t-shirt and wind pants. What is he wearing? He's not wearing the normal Eric Bischoff wrestling attire of Kung Fu Eric Bischoff. Today he looks like um, Dad. Uh, I will call it. This is this is what we call Eric Bischoff. Um, New Year's resolution, Dad Eric Bischoff. He looks like a guy who's coming back to the gym on January 2nd. He goes, this is going to be the year that I get in shape. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, wooden pants were pretty popular back then, because if I remember correctly, I owned a pair of them back then in the year 2000. Well, yeah, but would you go in front of 30,000 people wearing wind pants? Well, 
With as much money I was making back then, probably. Well, come on! If you were making as much money as Eric Bischoff probably was, I probably got something, be- something better. There we go, there we go. Okay. I'd be wearing my Kung Fu outfit. Then DDP comes out with, you know, he was the champ, wearing the belt, and then uh, we see a clip from uh, Nitro, you know, from that week, the Monday night, that where DDP won the WCW title in cage match from uh, from Jeff Jarrett. That this would be DDP's third title reign. And mm-hmm. when DDP came out, the announcers were saying that he told David Arquette to stay in back because he got attacked early in the night, and DDP had this under control. But David Arquette ran, you know, ran out, joining him like a second or two after DDP came out anyway. So I don't know why he just didn't join him anyway. Yeah, they, and the announcers said that Arquette was looking beaten, bruised, battered, torn, cut. But he's out here anyway. Okay, That's think, what Think of it. We did mention during the first match who the announcers were. For this match, it was Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson, right? I want to say maybe today was there too. Okay. It seemed like he jumped in once or twice. Okay, then, oh, yeah. Yep. Because I got, I got a note from him later. Okay. That's then, awful. Yeah, the DDP got to the ring and he asked David Pence where the referee was because there's no referee. Then some theme song. Some theme song hits. Let me talk. And I'm kicking to Beverly Hills because I hear some theme song playing. No, before that, that's what I was trying. I was trying to alert you, but you just steamrolled. That's Come what on, I. Man. That's what I do, Gorilla. I was trying to alert you. Jeez. So, you know, playing with our with our reviews, we we talked a lot. We talked a lot about this, but the announcers were hyping up a Brett interview a Bret Hart interview here where he was talking about wrestling Hogan and, and wanting to fight Hogan and whatever. Hart hadn't wrestled for four months and he'll never wrestle again. But they were talking about that. Like he, they're like, he, he's going to make him submit to the sharpshooter. That's what today was saying. It's like, guys, come on. What that never delivered, you know? And because of that, I had to ring my Dean bell. Like I need to ring my ding bell. Then yeah, then some theme song hits and Kimberly, Kimberly Page comes out as a referee and DDP isn't thrilled about it, but I took note. Holy moly, she looks absolutely more marvelous tonight. So I wrote, I said she's looking pretty good. Yeah, because DDP was looking for the ref and she's coming out. She's going to be the ref. Apparently, she had just filed for divorce in storyline here. So yeah, then uh, Bischoff and Jarrett were outside of the ring, and Bischoff walked over to the camera and said, "I love this. I love it." Then <laughs> mumbled something else that I couldn't understand. Yep, yep, I love it. He so says, "I'll watch you. Uh, kick. I'll kick it to you for the review." Yep, so they're they're brawling at the beginning here. They're fighting back and forth. Um, Arquette and, and Bischoff are actually very back and forth, weirdly, I think. Because, I mean, like, Bischoff's had matches in the past. I think he, I guess, like, it's funny to say, but I feel like Bischoff should have more um, whatever, more, like, credence as a fighter here, but... They're going back and forth, but eventually they battle up the ramp and to the back. Um, any thoughts on their brawling there? That, yeah, see that. I guess I was happy that they brawled to the back right away to get those two punch out of the match at the start and leave it yeah. to DDP and Jarrett. That is a good idea. I thought that was smart. Um, and I, know, in- I noticed that, yeah, then when they cut back to the, to the ring after those two walked off that, 
that yeah, Jarrett and DDP were in the ring, and DDP covers, and Kimberly only counts to one because she broke her nail. Yep, because she broke her nail. And the uh, announcer, one of the announcers said, well, she has nine left. <laughs> That's Yeah, somebody said that. Uh, yeah, was that? No, he isn't there, is he? Someone else is. I think, I think that may have been Scott Hudson that said Scott that. Scott Hudson. Um, yep, so then DDP came right back with a sit-out powerbomb, which looked really good, uh, but Kimberly still won't count. And then that's when today, this is how I know today was there. He goes, the deck is stacked and so is the ref. I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, at that point, Bischoff came back and I wrote that he may have murdered David Arquette because he comes back and he goes, he brushes his hands together and he goes, he's done. And he was, I'm like, oh, my God. And he was smiling and he started doing like the airplane kind of motion with his <laughs> arms. Was, yes. that, I laughed at that when he did that. <laughs> so strange i i i noticed that too yeah <laughs> yep 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 um oh gosh okay so yeah so bishop got back in the ring he's kicking uh ddp with both some karate kicks but also just like some stomps um there was some huge ddp chants from the crowd here um so even here in 2000, we're still the crowds are still into it. They may be small, but they were still into it. Yeah, which which I was surprised that when I started hear DDP chants, like that's to me that was weird because I don't remember that many times of hearing people chant for DDP. So it was, it was <laughs> sure. nice to hear that somebody were still behind DDP yeah. even in the year 2000. Yeah, yeah. So that that heat segment lasted about five minutes or five seconds. No, about five seconds. And DDP got back. I just thought this match um, in general was very rushed. Yeah. I thought just everything was way too quick. Nothing really sunk in because look at, you know, my next note, we just talked about 30 seconds ago. Um, our cat is seemingly murdered in the back. Well, here he's back. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he, he he came down holding his ribs, showing that yeah he was attacked backstage. But but how long? How yeah. long was he even down? He was he was down about a minute, it's, yeah. and I'm like, oh come on, like sell this a little bit. So he comes back. Uh, DDP kisses Kimberly in the corner. She and she goes down, act like she's still in love with him. <laughs> and and about that same time, um. Arquette speared Bischoff and Jared. Jar- yep, go ahead. Jared grabbed the belt and took out DDP. And they, and then at that time, Jeff Jarrett pinned DDP and. Let's see if a double pin. Yeah, then and, uh, Arquette pinned Bischoff. And the new referee came out and. Mickey J. Yeah, then he ran. And you can tell that, yeah, he would purposely. seemed like he was told to go over to Arquette and Bischoff. Right. And he counted the three. Then, then once he did that, Jarrett thought he won, won the match, but. In, Truth, Arquette and DDP won the match, meaning David Arquette is our new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Now, I feel like this would have been a perfect place for a dusty finish. Yeah. I thought if he would have slid into the middle, counted three, the, um, the whatever... The we're not gonna take it starts playing. David Arquette's dancing around, and then Mickey J pulls the title from him, gives it to Jarrett, 
I think that would have been a good idea rather than actually following through. Or or because or you can always well I guess it probably wouldn't have worked out. But even that since Jarrett used the title, you can say okay, no DDP is still a champion. Right, yes. Uh huh. Yep. That would have been a good idea too. Us to DQ DQ finish. Yeah. So I, I think. This would this would have been the time for a bullshit finish. Yeah. You know, usually I don't want that, but this would have been a time for one. I so I rated this match one star question mark. I, I would I would also rate it a question mark. I don't. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Because I put a question mark because, yeah, the the match was short and Bischoff and Arquette was wasn't involved much in the match, which I really enjoyed, and I felt like ending was. WCW 2000 ask, but I guess yeah, like I said, that you can tell that when Mickey J came down, he was told to go towards Arquette, sure. not Jeff Jarrett's pin. Yeah, yep. So um, I, oh sorry. So I guess I rated this match the Hollywood sign. <laughs> yep, and I didn't like when Arquette won. He was like laughing. I get that he was like supposed to be kind of like blown away like how unbelievable but to me it kind of came across like it was a joke fair you know he was laughing ddp was laughing i didn't really like that um i thought it was weird that he wore the belt like a backpack yeah uh (laughs) if you saw he puts it on over his shoulders or gives me like a jacket i don't know how you would say that but (laughs) and uh arquette and ddp leave through the crowd which I find to be funny that so far the first two matches we reviewed, there there was a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, yes, sir. Well, so, we're gonna have one in this one too because the belt had been held up. So, what is our next match, Mister Beverly Hill? Okay, third match. We're going to October later that year, going to the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California, and we're gonna get a match. A San Francisco 49er match between, between Booker, Booker T, T and Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, like you said, on October 2nd, the year 2000. Yeah. So the clip, well, I guess, yeah, do you know what, I guess, any backstory up to the match? Because yep, so, what, the, so, yeah, I'll kick it to you. Yep, so the title had been uh, held up, um, and we had kind of a four man mini tournament. Uh, of sorts, if you will. Um, a, it started with a tag match between uh, Booker T and Jeff Jarrett against Sting and Scott Steiner, wherein the winners of the match would then face off in the main event. Uh, Booker T and Jeff Jarrett won. Um, so now that's that's the match. And the, so this match here... Hey, before... Do you want to do that? I had to cut you off. We mentioned this during the daddy phone call and i mentioned this a couple podcasts ago in the year 2000 this was the title is fainted because of because of the wcw champion had a concussion the champion was vince russo oh got it okay so i had to mention that you know yeah sure we talked about i asked that to daddy earlier in the phone with the phone call about 15 20 minutes ago about if you remembered that but yeah so yeah, that was, that was why the title was vacated because yeah, Vince Russo had a concussion. I think when Goldberg speared him through the cage, when, that's how Russo won the title. I think, I think the week before or whatnot. So okay, yeah. The clip starts out with with our theme song playing the yeah. ch- ch- chosen one. 
Yeah. Then Tony was Tony Schiavone was plugging the shows that WCW would be at. Then it it was Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson for this for this match. Um and Mark Madden. Yes. Come on, dude, because he's the freaking worst. Then uh, Jeff Jarrett was wearing black trunks with gold gold lettering. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, then like you, yeah, then we showed a clip from earlier in the night where yeah, that guys won the tag match and also Jeff Jarrett ran into Beetlejuice backstage and called Jeff Jarrett slap nuts and Jeff how'd Jarrett how you slap nuts. Then Jeff Jarrett laid him out with a guitar shot. And yeah, that was last week. Okay. Was the, was the Beetlejuice altercation. Then Beetlejuice is Howard Stern's sidekick on his radio show, he's, right? Yeah, he's one of the whack pack, which are just kind of this crazy group of people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just kind of a mess of people that Howard just kind of makes fun of on his shows. And Beetlejuice is one of them. Beetlejuice is a tiny African-American man. Uh, who swears? <laughs> then when Booker T came, then Booker T came out. The beginning part of the theme song was him saying, "Don't hit the player, hit the game." Yeah, I'm happy WWE cut that out when he, they brought him over to the WWE. Sure. Uh huh. So at, also at this time, Hudson was um, explaining the match, and he goes, "There are four boxes hanging. Find the gold, win the title." And then Tony goes, "We're not talking about the." We're not talking about the football team. We're talking about the great gold rush. Yes, and uh, I also noted that Booker T's shirt that he was wearing was like it had his name. It was a blue shirt and like a lighter blue yep. tax to his had his name and like a silhouette of his face. Mm-hmm. I never ever remember seeing that T-shirt, and I hope I'll never see that T-shirt again. Yeah, and yep. Booker T's wearing white trunks and all that, and oh. I hadn't mentioned this because I mentioned this during the WCCW series that we did back in November. Booker T went out of the ring and gave his shirt to an old lady in red. Okay, it is hilarious that you said that. Let me verbatim read my note. As Booker T is kissing an old woman who is not as cute as the I get don't get older I get better woman from WCCW gets smashed by Jared. Yes, it made me. It made we're on me, the same page. I'm happy that she tried to hit Jared, and Jared was jaw jacking at her, and she was uh, he was teasing her to hit him, and she she was trying to. It made me laugh. Oh my gosh, she was so pissed that her man got hit while she while he was trying to give her his shirt. <laughs> so yeah, that so, match. So like the match started out on the outside because yeah, yeah the both of them were outside by the old lady. Yep, they're fighting outside, and then they go in, and you know this is just an, an omen of things to come. The first box falls down <laughs> as as uh, Jarrett threw Booker T into the corner. The the box fell down, and when the, he opens it, and what does he find? Well, when the box fell, the crowd, ooh, yeah. it was. Well, it's a, it was a pretty good Irish whip into the corner, so yeah. I would oot. It was a blow-up doll, and I believe oh, it was Scott God. Hudson that yelled out, somebody go and get it for me. That was Mark Madden. Yeah, I'm sorry. But <laughs> but when when I heard Scott that, Hudson said it looks like Kimberly. When, when I heard that <laughs> line, I paused the video from Daily Motion, and I wrote down, when one of the voices of the company say something like that, doesn't that yeah. dis- disgrade the company or I something would, like I that? Would agree. Well, wouldn't something like that dis- 
disgraced the company, and like no wonder why people started to tune out of WCW because stuff well, like that. Yeah, well, that's Mark Madden in general. He was awful, and the and and he did always say those kind of comments that I would agree with you. Um, okay, so as we go on, Booker T. Uh, gains the advantage and goes up and gets his second box, which is a picture of Scott. Hall. I want to say it was Scott Hudson, but I assume it was most Mark likely Madden. Mark Medina that said it is Scott Hall impersonation. Hey yo! <laughs> well, first he go, he just goes crazy. He goes, yeah, yeah. He was so happy that then, it was Scott. Oh. Hey yo! It seemed like the fans popped a little bit for the picture they too. They actually did. And I don't know why. It's so stupid. So, I, so Booker T hit him, hit Jarrett with the picture. I, to be honest, I chuckled when, I chuckled when the fans popped when they saw the picture of of Scott Hall. Yeah, yeah, that's you. You, <laughs> you were doing the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Booker T hit him with the with the picture. Um, he went up for the third box, but Jarrett stopped him. Um. Jared took the box that had Scott Hall in it, and I wish it was actually Scott Hall, the Scott <laughs> Hall picture, and he hit Booker with it. Then he hit Booker with another box. <laughs> then they went over to the table, uh, the announce table, and uh, Jared is going to either power bomb or, or uh, pile drive Booker T through the table, where Tony goes, somebody's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. I can tell that Tony didn't care anymore that at that moment. So so Booker uh, pile drive Jarrett down into the table. The table did not break, so I'm sure that was pleasant. Yeah, yeah did not budge at all and all that. Oh, oh gosh, it was like he pile drove him into a brick wall. I, I cringed because I was like, oh, God, okay. Yeah, because if it doesn't break, that's not good. Um, but then, so this should put out Jarrett for like the whole match. All he had to do he took a drink of, bo- of a bottle of water, and he was fine. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Come on, WCW. So um, Booker went up to the third box and was in the third box. Uh, Cole Miner's glove, and it seemed like the fans either didn't know what it was or just didn't care. But the announcers loved the coal miner's glove. And I wanted to ask... Like, a coal miner's glove! I wanted to ask, when was the last time WCW did a coal miner's glove match? Well, the only one that I ever remember was it at Halloween Havoc 1992 between um, Jake the Snake Roberts and Sting. So it's been... That, uh, so yeah. if that was the only other time, it so it's, was, been eight, yeah. eight, it's been eight, about eight years. Right. So, so that, that explains why the fans didn't know what the hell it was and thought it was just a regular mechanic glove or whatever else. <laughs> well, and even then, I, if I remember right, or when I've seen coal miners glove matches before, it's like the whole gimmick or whatever is that it's actually loaded. It's got something yeah, like in it. Some steel or whatever. In, in all that, yeah. The one that I saw, it had like metal over the top of it, like on okay. the knuckles. This one was literally just a glove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um Booker hit uh Jarrett with the glove a couple times, but then Double J uh destroyed Booker's nuts uh with a low blow. Um got the glove and the announcers again are like, Double J got the glove uh, and he hit him with the glove. 
<laughs> a, a few different times, yeah. Yep. Jarrett goes back to his favorite weapon, which is the box that these things came in. He hit Booker with it. Um, Jarrett goes up for the last box, which we know is now the, the, title. the title box. Uh, but Booker's already okay, and he stops him. Um, Jarrett was working a sleeper. And which, at this point... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Which I'm sure you're about to get get to it, but... Yeah, the you know that Booker was selling the sleep hold pretty well. It went to his knees, yeah. went to his back, was selling it. Then the ref was checking uh, Booker's arms, and again, I have Scott Hudson written down, but I'm sure it was Mark Maddie. And yeah, one, so one of those two question why the referee was even checking the arm. Yeah, which is accurate. And then did you hear the the other two's like explanation of that? No. Um. Oh, she know I gotta do it. It's like. <laughs> Tony goes, well, it's for the safety of the competitor. So, like, if he would have been three, he would have made him get off it. <laughs> and and Hudson was like, oh, it's, uh, what does he say? I don't know. He's like, it's it's for the effectiveness of the move. Like, to show, what? And I'm like, oh, guys, come on. Let's just say that it's shitty referee work and go with it. Well, talk about the, uh, the shitty referee work. And Booker stopped on his own sleeper hold and, Double J counters it with a backdrop. Then the referee started to count to 10. Yeah. And I put in caps lock again. I yeah. don't know why. You're right. Uh-huh. And especially with the announcers calling the referee out about this. Like, this toilet <laughs> Somebody take- get in his ear and tell him to stop doing this. Yeah, yeah. you know, the you know the blow-up doll and Mark, no, the, uh, Mark Benning getting all excited about that and the picture of Scott <laughs> Hall. Like, and them calling out the referee all about this and the referee not thinking about you know the rules of the match that just took me out of the match <laughs> sure uh yeah so Jarek got the glove again and he went up top to hit booker but booker caught him in the bookend and he hit it um he then hit an axe kick he hit a spinneroonie he put, hit the Harlem sidekick so he is now in the last 30 seconds hit all three of his finishers Jarrett totally no sells it. Yeah. Gets up, nut shots him. As I said, and I'm like, what? I did note that Jarrett tried to go for his finisher, the stroke, which is pretty much the the front version of the Russian leg sweep. You know, yep. Jericho did use it a little bit in early 2002. Of course he did. Well, I'm just saying. It all that, ties back to Chris Yes, Jericho. that Jericho tried, you know, you tried to use it for a little bit and was, you know, didn't get over, so he quit using it after a few months. Okay. But yeah, then yeah, Booker got crouched at the top rope after trying to hit the sidekick. Yep, and Jared's trying to get his guitar, but he can't pull it out. Um, while he's trying to get it the first time, Booker T tries to to go up to the top, but but Jared runs in, electric chair drops him, goes goes outside, goes for the the guitar again, yeah. and here's where Madden actually does say a funny line to yeah. me. What is it? He goes, he goes. the guitar's got a mind of its own. It's a rock and roll Pinocchio. Because <laughs> I know uh, the announcers were saying that, you know, there's a lot of plunder and all that underneath the yeah. and, and the guitar probably got caught on something and all yeah. that, which I'm happy they tried to uh, try to explain why Jarrett couldn't get to the guitar. Sure. And I did notice, too, when, you know, when Jarrett was trying to get to the guitar, he wasn't fully lifting up the ape, the, the apron skirt mm-hmm. or whatever. So I think that should have been a sign that something was about to happen, which I can let you talk yeah, but about. I, I, did think they, I did think they sold it pretty well. Yeah, they, yep, they did, so, yeah. So, 
Lo and behold, it wasn't getting caught on something. It's Beetlejuice. Ooh, Beetlejuice. And he comes out, and he was not, like, punching Jared in the crotch. He was, like, grabbing his nuts. <laughs> he was, like, reaching up, and he was, like, grabbing. Um, so, whatever. Uh, this, this incapacitated Jared. I guess apparently Beetlejuice's hands are stronger than all of Booker T's finishers, but whatever. I guess Beetlejuice took a lot of lessons from Ronnie Garvin. I guess Beetlejuice has a hands of stone. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's the Iron Claw. Yes. So Booker went up. He (laughs) tries to open the box, but the belt fell out the bottom of it. And we talked about this when yeah, we covered man. the year 2000. Dave Pinsler grabbed the belt. So technically he should have been the world <laughs> champion. But he had, handed it to Booker T, which gave, you know, gave Booker T the win. And before we talk about, no, I already know that. Let's talk about what happened after that when Booker was holding the belt up in, in celebration. Sure. Uh, Booker T got to celebrate for about two seconds before Scott Steiner ran out with, they were calling it a lead pipe. I thought it looked like an aluminum bat, but whatever. And he hit Booker T in the back a few times, and then Steiner put Beetlejuice in the Steiner recliner, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, I was going to say, Beetlejuice made a funny face, and Nitro went off the air. (laughs) Good call, he was. He's like... Yeah, and when midway through the match, like, okay, I remember... Uh, the old school wrestling podcast covered this match. I remember what was going to happen right after the right before the clip goes off the air, and, and uh, Beetlejuice made a funny face in the Steiner recliner, and and you know talk about the Steiner recliner on Beetlejuice. That was yes. they looked like he he had even had it in. It looks like he Steiner was just holding his chin. And that's False. it. Beetlejuice held it, uh, sold it pretty well. Well, what is he supposed to do? He's actually supposed to put a like shoot camel clutch on Beetlejuice. I'm just saying, but the winner is... So Booker, am I. It's a fake sport. Booker T is the winner and the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Mr. Beverly Hills, I gave this match a rating of... I'm trying to think of something clever. And I'm giving this match a uh, gardening's glove. Because this match sucks. <laughs> I'll give this match... One and one half uh, pickaxes. <laughs> I felt like at times the announcers were somewhat entertaining on questioning the referee. Yeah. And all that. Then other than that, why a blow up doll? Why a picture of <laughs> Scott Hall? Yeah. No one knows. And Dave yeah. Penser should have been crowned the new WCW champion. Yes. So these, I felt like I, I had fun watching these three cl- these three matches and all that. <laughs> so I guess we might as well get into our final thoughts of the series and all that. And I guess I really, as or now, I guess I really didn't can't think of. I guess yeah, I enjoyed enjoyed doing the series. I I think we should do the I think what you called it the the Dirty Dog Book Club. I think <laughs> I think we should do something like that every summer. I yeah, I I'm not sure it. about that. We'll revisit it next summer. This got a little long. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I enjoyed it and all that. So I guess yeah, I do. I, uh, you mentioned before you you enjoyed it. It was fun going back uh, down going down memory lane and remembering and visiting what happened. That was WCW. Right, I agree. Um, so 
I would say in in general, yes, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was like we talked to at the beginning of the um, beginning of the show today. It was cool revisiting the whole thing and actually I really liked watching these three matches um, this one even though it wasn't very good like the cool thing about late era WCW maybe like the crappy thing too is that all these matches are over real quick yeah. <laughs> and they're they're very easy to get through yeah we were going to do a top five but decided not to do it but I have to say my number one yeah, Top just say your number one. I can say my number one too. Ted Turner. Okay. Because I had had Jimmy Kellner, Goldberg Streak, Wrestler mm. Booker's the NWO, oh, and Goldberg Ted. Goldberg Streak. Tell me about Goldberg Streak. How that's part. That's a killer. Because I feel like that is what kind of turned WCW around and went downhill. And I feel like they could have went a lot longer with Goldberg in a streak. And I think feel like they could have had him go at least a few more months undefeated. Oh, the end. Okay, it was like the ending of the yeah, street. Yeah. Yes, but sure. But I picked Ted Turner as my ultimate killer of WCW because he should have brought in somebody like Jamie Kellner, which we discussed last weekend, yeah. a lot, a lot sooner. And because he wasn't too strict, he should have exnated. He should have put his foot down with WCW a lot sooner than what he did. Right. My number one is failure to create new stars. I think I'll, that's the biggest killer. I, I was going to mention that, but I feel mm-hmm. like I hit upon that a lot of times in the last series. I didn't want to beat that that horse anymore. Well, I mean, that's why you know, that's why it's the number one. Fair For enough. For me, at least, I think it's number one because it is the killer. Okay, then we might as well do the plugs for the podcast. Let's do it. You do guys it to can, it. You guys can check us out on our website, maineventstatus.com. That's maineventstatus.com. Dot com. You guys can check us out on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash radio. That's all one word, soundcloud.com slash radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, what is the third way that gets you all hot and bothered? Oh, God, it always works me up. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. I mean, just search out Main Event Status Radio. Rate, subscribe, comment. We want to rise up those rankings because we're so sick of that hashtag saucy attitude of Jim Ross of the Ross Report. We want to take him over. We want to get to the top of those wrestling rankings. Please do it, folks. We are tired of Jim <laughs> Ross and the Ross Report. And a saucy attitude. And you guys can also interact with us on social media at yep. facebook.com slash main event status radio. That's all one word, just like our SoundCloud page. Yep. Facebook.com slash main event status radio. You guys can hit us up on the Twitter, on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you there? Uh, Twitter.com slash Beverly Hills MES. And for me, is at Dirty Dog MES. That's dog as in D A. WG, it's Dirty Dog MES and Mr. Beverly Hills. What is our next series? We're gonna you stay in the realm of WCW. We are gonna do the momentous, the important summer of 1996. Started out with the May 27th, 1996 yes. Nitro, the very first Nitro that went two hours Memorial, long. Yep, Memorial Day, 1996. And we were stopping at the Great American Bash in Baltimore, and we were going to Bash at the Beach, 1996. Yep. 
So, for Great American Bash at the Beach. Yes, yeah, so this is our summer, summer sizzling series, The Great American <laughs> Bash at the Beach 1996. Yes. For Mr. Beverly Hills, I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy, and we catch you guys later. Hell yeah! That was amazing. But you get, you get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody. That's so good.